Hello and welcome to episode 42 of Tech Swamp. We have our host and friendly membership team here today. Hey Brad. Why hello there. Well hello. Caitlin, what's up? You know, just membership chillin'. Chillin' as usual. And of course, myself Alex. Um, so this month we're going to be sitting down with Graham Default for a deep dive on all things infrastructure, specifically broadband. There was a lot of back and forth, some will they, won't they, but now it does look like there is a solid foundation for bipartisan infrastructure legislation in the Senate that includes $65 billion in broadband funding. But before we get into that, we're going to hit tech history and run through some DC headlines. In honor of Pride Month, we're celebrating the contributions of computer scientist Lynn Conway, an essential mind in the design of complex microchips. Lynn was brought on the architecture team at IBM, designing an advanced supercomputer with a team of her peers in the early 1960s. Her contributions led to the first computer architectural paradigm widely exploited in modern high-performance microprocessors. Unfortunately, after her success, IBM learned of her plans to transition and fired her, which they have since apologized for. Lynn went on to win many awards, including the highest professional recognition an engineer can achieve, being elected as a member of the National Academy of Engineering. She was also named by Time Magazine as one of the 21 transgender people who influenced American culture for her work campaigning for equal opportunities and employment protections for transgender people in our industry. And the rest is tech history. That sound means it's time for What's Brewing in D.C. Caitlin and Brad, what are the top tech headlines? After a 23-hour markup, the House Judiciary Committee passed a series of antitrust bills out of committee last week, despite some concerns that the process was rushed. The bills, which were introduced 12 days before the markup, take aim at Apple's App Store, Amazon's Marketplace, Google's YouTube and Android, and Facebook-owned WhatsApp and Instagram. The antitrust package, which, among other provisions, appears to be aimed at prohibiting Apple, Amazon, Facebook, Google, and Microsoft from discriminating against competitors and would limit their ability to buy at potential rivals. And this has created divisions on both sides of the aisle. With displeasure from both Democrats and Republicans, the path of these bills is uncertain. Congressman Ken Buck, the ranking member on the antitrust subcommittee who has supported this legislation, told reporters, quote, I don't think the bills are going to be on the floor for a couple of months because the August recess. So I think the opportunity to work together is certainly there. For more information on these bills, head to our show notes. In more Hill news, reps Liz Cheney and Debbie Dingell recently introduced legislation to make it easier for older adults to access telehealth services. The bill would permanently extend new telehealth flexibilities for Medicare beneficiaries granted during the pandemic. If passed, providers would be allowed to deliver telehealth services to patients and would permanently allow Medicare to pay for doctor's visits via audio-only phone calls rather than requiring a video component for every call. ACT and our Connected Health Initiative applaud this work and look forward to more positive advancements in Connected Health legislation. And earlier this month, the Federal Trade Commission swore in their new chair, 32-year-old Lisa Kahn. Kahn said that she looked forward to working with her colleagues to, quote, protect the public from corporate abuse. Her role will mean companies considered big tech may face some more scrutiny. Prior to her new role, Kahn has been known for her research on modern antitrust laws and how, in her opinion, they fail to check the power of some of the U.S.'s biggest corporations. 
We'll keep you posted on all things FTC and future antitrust investigations in future episodes of Tech Swamp. And that's all for What's Brewing. As we mentioned earlier, we're being joined by OG, friend of the pod, and Senior Director for Public Policy, Graham Duvall, to talk us through the pending infrastructure legislation in the Senate, specifically the broadband stuff. (laughs) Hey, Graham, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. Good to be here. Always good to have you. Um, So before we dive into the meat and potatoes, that is the policy, um, I wanted to kind of take a second to talk about some of the back and forth that goes into crafting legislation that has a $1.2 trillion price tag. Yeah, there um, has been quite a bit of back and forth, and it was really the subject of all the Sunday shows. Uh, For those who watch... um, catch up on the happenings of the week in Congress. The Sunday show is kind of a recap of um, all kind of the top line and headline grabbing stuff. And it was all this last week about the infrastructure negotiations because people really want to know where things stand. Um, And so anytime you have a big, uh, a big plan like the one that's being contemplated here, originally it was over $2 trillion as proposed by the Biden administration back in March. Um, and, and now it's looking like there is a bipartisan agreement that, uh, is, is somewhat, somewhat less than that around a trillion, 1.2 trillion. But, uh, um, the, uh, uh, the back and forth has been really, really interesting. And since I was on vacation last week, I have been catching up on all of it myself. A lot has happened. Um, (laughs) but, uh. You know, there's a lot of negotiation that comes along with something that's so wide ranging. And the ultimate purpose, I think, that, um, you know, a bipartisan group of senators is, is coming together on is really to fund water infrastructure, highways, um, physical infrastructure, uh, and then some of the some of the stuff around that. And, and it includes um, an investment in broadband infrastructure as well. And we'll get into that a little bit later. Um, but you know, the, um, the initial legislation, it just came with, uh, I think a lot of Republican senators thought of it as too high of a price tag, $2 trillion. Um, and that it encompassed a little bit more than, um, what, you know, what they were thinking of as infrastructure and, and, and what should be an infrastructure bill. Uh, and so there was kind of like this fundamental disagreement at the outset that a lot of folks were kind of wondering, are they going to be able to get over this? Um, and so I think, you know, you had a group of bipartisan senators at the, at the beginning of the talks at the White House and, and the president um, hosted these talks to really hash out the broad strokes of what would be a bipartisan agreement on infrastructure. And they were able to sort of separate out the core infrastructure stuff uh, for 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 this bipartisan bill. And that's why you see this. trillion piece, uh, which is separate from um, uh, the other aspects of what the president wanted to achieve um, with universal pre-K and and um, uh, funding for uh, college tuition and things like that. Um, Sort of those wind up in a separate package that um, is not necessarily part of the bipartisan uh, agreement. And so uh, the, the 11 senators, it looked like, you know, they were going to reach a deal, uh, this last week. And then there was a little bit of a hiccup because, um, 
I think there was some confusion about whether or not the president would accept this bipartisan deal uh, without also having uh, the other pieces of it that he was looking to include and that were not bipartisan. Um, and so there was that appears to have been cleared up, at least from from the White House. Uh, and I, it sounds like they're going to be able to, you know, knock on wood, uh, to to move forward with sort of the scale down just the 1.2 trillion dollar piece, um, along with all of the provisions that sort of help fund this 1.2 trillion dollar piece, which is uh, a really interesting and a whole different you know set of uh, can of worms uh, that um, uh, they debated, I'm sure, at great length. Uh, but so that was uh, so that was kind of like how we ended up with a 1.2 trillion dollar package down from a, uh, a 2.2, I think it was two, over $2 trillion package. Absolutely. And so when when we're talking about these negotiations, I know that there was some give and take, you know, but in particular, just real quick, when can we maybe expect, maybe not expect, but hope that something like this would, would pass? I, yeah, um, it's a good question. I think the the hope is that they would be able to get this through the Senate uh, by the time the House and Senate uh, um, recess in August. And then in September, the House would be able to pick it up and, and hopefully pass it within a month. Um, and so that's that's the hope. And, and yeah. there, I mean, there are a lot of little things that can happen that can derail it as uh, as we saw with this process even sort of a miscommunication can can cause it to go off the rails pretty quickly uh, and sort of um, take us back a couple steps from what were you know months of uh, and, and weeks of, of negotiations um, but uh, uh, that's that's the hope you know I think uh, for for Majority Leader uh, Schumer, he probably wants to see it out the door and out of the Senate uh, by the end of, of July. Yeah. And so with with these negotiations, you know, we've mentioned a lot of give and take um, between, you know, both parties. Um, that's resulted in nearly a trillion dollar difference. So what does that mean for the broadband part of this package? Yeah. It, and so that's that's the that's the piece of it that, you know, we're, we're focused on, especially. You know, that's that's the part of it that we um, really have the most uh, um, significant, at least a direct stake in. Um, and the initial proposal, two point two five trillion dollars um, is, is the was the initial pr proposal. And it included one hundred billion dollars for broadband. Um, and and so that was all federal money. Uh, the new legislation that is one point two trillion dollars is sixty five billion for broadband. And so the the details are unclear on exactly how that money is going to be spent and what strings are going to be attached. And those matter, you know, quite a bit. I think one of the things that's really envisioned in, in this package is uh, that there is a role for municipal governments um, in that uh, at the very least, there's going to be um, municipal government involvement in the process of of getting access to the federal funds and then figuring out from there, you know, what's the best deployment model. Um, and so we're watching that closely. I think there, there are ways to do this that, that can work. Um, 
there are ways that probably would be would be difficult to make it work uh, effectively. Um, you know, uh, we haven't really said anything specifically one way or the other about whether or not municipally owned broadband networks are, are a good thing. But, you know, one one thing that's clear is that uh, public private partnerships have worked in the past. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, we just want to uh, be careful about um, how much of a role you're giving for, for municipal governments um, in that process, because, uh, you know, it's always been true that you want to see more competition and not less. And so you don't want to see um, competition go away because it's just a government run network. And, and uh, uh, conversely, you, you know, want to make sure that um, uh, there's more competition than maybe there is in, in some markets. Uh, so that's, you know, that's, uh, those are all things that, you know, remain to be seen and, and the devil will be in the details on that. Uh, but, you know, uh, the, the, the number, you know, hundred billion dollars versus $65 billion, uh, in either case, it's a huge investment. It's, it's a huge amount of money. Um, and it, and it dwarfs uh, what the FCC has on a yearly basis usually, which is about $9 billion for all the programs. That includes the low-income program, the lifeline program, the high-cost program, which is all the federal support that goes to the deployment of a broadband infrastructure uh, to unserved areas. Um, and so it's, um, you know, orders of magnitude greater than uh, you know, the, the usual expenditures that we have, uh, in, in broadband. So, um, there's some, you know, back and forth also about, you know, what are, what's the right technology that, uh, should be used? Should it all be fiber or should it, you know, should we prioritize fiber over other methods of deployment, um, in all cases or just in some cases? And so, yeah, for, we've always been, uh, in favor of, all options being on the table and for the needs of a local market to sort of dictate what technology ends up being used. Um, in the past, we've looked at, you know, TV white spaces and other fixed wireless deployments as being really cost effective, especially where you're um, in a remote area where uh, there's only a, a few potential subscribers in any given square mile, um, you know, you know, deploying really expensive, uh, uh, infrastructure out to each of those homes often really doesn't make sense. Um, certainly doesn't make any business sense. And for the federal government to spend a bunch of money on the most expensive option for that um, is uh, not necessarily the best use of um, of the money. And so that will be uh, something that we're looking at. And, and I think we'll probably be weighing in on that as the details emerge and as there's opportunities to sort of participate in, in all those discussions. Absolutely. That that makes a lot of sense. Thanks for the 411 there, you know. Uh, you know you know better than uh, anyone, probably, how passionate we feel about broadband infrastructure. Uh, we've said it before and we'll certainly say it again. Our members' livelihoods literally depend on a reliable broadband connection. So naturally, when we hear broadband, we're excited to see the $65 billion price tag associated with something that's so crucial for our members. Can you talk to us about what we'd like to see come from this package when it comes to bridging the digital divide? Yeah, um, and that's a good prompt because, you know, 
I was just in a meeting where somebody was asking me, you know, for our member companies, what has been the impact of, of the pandemic? And, you know, for, for many of them, and, and we shared sort of the one pager that we developed where uh, we highlight some of some of the member company activities to, to help uh, people, you know, during the pandemic, help connect with uh, their loved ones or, or uh, workers in the restaurant industry, for example, that, that might have been laid off. Um, uh, find access to training and and um, and other things. The um, uh, you know the the impact of the pandemic has been really interesting, and it's increased kind of I think a lot of different industries' reliance on our member companies. And in terms of especially for the restaurant industry, now if if you're a restaurant, you have to have a contactless delivery option and. You have to have mobile ordering, and oftentimes that means having an app and, and having mobile software that, that connects you with your customers um, over the internet and on, on their smart device. So, um, you know, it, without broadband, none of that can happen. Um, and, and it's so for that reason, it's just foundational uh, for our member companies, and the pandemic certainly has intensified i think the the need that we have for uh, um, the federal government and other stakeholders to uh, make sure that those connections are, are available affordably um, and reliably as to as much of the country as as is possible um, so this is uh, this is foundational for us and and it's, it's why we've always sort of pushed on the Federal Communications Commission, pushed on Congress uh, to do more, to, to ensure that uh, the folks that, that don't have access to, to reliable broadband um, are, are, able to, uh, are able to make a connection. Um, and the, the numbers are interesting. You know, the, one of the areas we've been ad advocating is on the FCC's um, uh, mapping uh, efforts and you know they've always relied on on data that comes from form 477 which is really just census block data it says you know if used to say that if you're a provider and you you serve a portion of a census block that whole census block is served and some census blocks are really big because it's based on population um, not on geographic area and uh, <clears throat> so it's uh, it's always been just kind of a fuzzy picture and you end up with a number that ranges around 20 million that that lack access to broadband um, likely it's a it's quite a bit higher than that uh, it's probably a lot more than 20 million uh, Americans that don't have access to uh, what we think of as broadband um, and so that's a real issue and it's a and it's a, and it's a policy issue that I think Congress is definitely uh, uh, right to try and address in an infrastructure package. Um, but, uh, you know, th that's not to say that Congress hasn't recently made a bunch of really substantial investments. They, they definitely have, right? Um, in the, the omnibus funding package that was signed into law back in December, and then in a, a stimulus bill that went through earlier this year, there, there were, um, I think, a total of th uh, $388 billion uh, allocated and uh, set aside for uh, broadband adoption and deployment. Um, but the pot of money was kind of made available in a bunch of different chunks. Uh, 
um, and in a through a bunch of different programs uh, that all have sort of different pr uh, sets of parameters and, and rules. Uh, but but in general, you know, the biggest chunks of those those um, uh, those funds are available for states and, and localities. Uh, and so, you know, the, um, and, and they still have mostly yet to be spent. And so the states are trying to figure out what are we going to do with all of this money um, and how do we how do we make the best use of it for our constituents, you know, in our state? Um, and so as as they are trying to figure all of that out, um, we also know that, you know, temporary funding like this isn't necessarily going to uh, solve the problem. It, you know, we have to have sort of a, a, a permanent set of rules going forward that will and permanent uh, support going forward that uh, will um, help LA costs of, of deployment to, to hard to reach areas and, and for low income uh, subscribers. And, and for folks that just, you know, um, have have trouble paying for broadband that, that they might have access to, but that is, uh, you know, $80 a month is, um, you know, can be quite a bit. Uh, so, you know, the the few things that we're looking for are, you know, funds that will go toward, toward deployment, but also adoption. You know, um, adoption programs are really, really an important piece because, you think about deployment goes toward actually building the infrastructure. Um, adoption goes toward uh, making sure people have access to devices, making sure people um, understand, you know, how to use uh, the internet to, to benefit themselves. And, and, you know, if they're trying to figure out, you know, how do I um, apply to jobs using the internet? You know, these are things that uh, many people just, just know how to do, but, um, that's not universally true, uh, especially for elderly folks that um, aren't as tech literate. You know, adoption programs are pretty important to ensure that folks know how to make beneficial use of, of the Internet as a tool. Um, and so, um, you know, the other part of it is that we want to uh, make sure that, you know, um, the fed any federal support is, is really, you know, that the approach is thoughtful about the roles of government and private sector in building and maintaining broadband. So, you know, we supported a bill called the eBridge Act, which would, you know, make small changes to the Economic Development Administration uh, grant program to allow private companies to participate in public-private partnerships uh, to make use of EDA-funded projects. You know, broadband is generally, you know, broadband facilities are generally built by private companies and you know, we thought uh, that um, for EDA projects, uh, they shouldn't, um, you know, broadband projects should also uh, be eligible, basically, for, for EDA uh, funds. Um, yeah, and, and then, you know, I mentioned this earlier, but we don't want to sideline the most cost-effective technologies. Uh, there are um, proposals that, that we've seen where, um, you know, uh, funding is prioritized for uh, broadband facilities that have um, 100 megabits per second download, 100 megabits per second upload symmetrical speeds, and that would <clears throat> that would uh, essentially sideline um, 
for example, cable broadband, uh, because cable, um, just because of uh, its architecture, doesn't support super fast upload speeds. And yet people use it all the time for video conferencing and it's, and it's perfectly good for that. Um, and uh, so, uh, you know, I think they figured out that if, if the threshold is 100 up and 100 down, then like all of Miami would be considered unserved or, or, or something like that. And uh, that's not necessarily what we want to do. I, I think, um, you know, there might be another purpose of trying to make sure that there is a government funded competitor that comes in and over the way they call it overbuilds over over other facilities but um, I think uh, right now we really need to focus on uh, the parts of the country that really don't have access and and work on upskilling and um, uh, and and uh, broadband adoption programs um, so those are, I mean, those are just kind of the main pieces and, and make sure to keep working on the maps. The FCC has made some progress in that area, but um, more work remains to be done on that. Totally. And all of this also helps in some of the conversations that both we and I think Congress are having around workforce development, right? Like if you have to build out these, uh, these new pieces of infrastructure, that's like jobs for people. So that's great. It also helps to build out the tech workforce, right? Because if you have more access to broadband, then maybe you're going to be more likely to get into tech as a field. So it's all really exciting. And obviously, we've thrown a lot of numbers and bills and all of that stuff out during this conversation. Um, and so as always, we will make sure um, to have all of this information in the show notes, um, because it's all super important and super interesting. And again, like 1.7 or $1.2 trillion um, bill is a lot of money. And so <laughs> following that will be something that we spend a lot of time doing for sure. Yeah, it will be very interesting. It's kind of a soap opera watching the back. And yes, <laughs> exactly. It's it's um, it's like part of the exciting thing about working in policy is like watching what happens across the aisle. Um, and this is one of those times where it's been fascinating to watch. <laughs> I definitely was thinking when I was watching CNN, I was like, is this days of our lives yes. or is this the news? <laughs> at least it's entertaining, you know? Yeah, and, definitely. And you see it playing out on Twitter as well. And so I, I wish I had been following it more. Now I'm going to now I'm going to be watching. I'm going to be paying much closer attention to figure out what happens. Absolutely. I mean, in inevitably something else is going to happen, right? At the rate that this has all been happening. Yeah. So you'll you'll have more drama to see, I, I have a feeling. <laughs> Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Yes. And we'll have more drama to share. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right, Graham, thank you so much for joining us again um, to talk all things infrastructure and broadband. It's been super interesting. Um, we always appreciate a visit from OG, friend in the pod. Awesome. Thanks for having me. it's time for random identifier brad you are up first i am and i'm gonna swing <laughs> right back to yes. uh music again we took Great. we took uh, an episode off but we're right back uh where we belong <laughs> yeah. um, and the band that i'm going to bring up today for random identifier is spacey jane yet another australian rock band yes. uh kind of surf pop music i don't know it's it's really really summery though uh, is kind of the vibe that I get from it. They put out their first album about a year ago, um, and they just put out a new single. So it must be album number two. 
Um, really looking forward to hearing what they do. And they have not yet ventured over to the States, but hopefully this second album gets them to that level where they want to come over here and I can go see a show. Totally. Yeah, they have, like, Beach Boys vibes, but, like, if Beach Boys were modern and, like, pretty rock and roll. Yeah, totally. And yeah. the the lead singer guy always wears, like, a, a ridiculous tank and shorts, which is, like, so anti-musician garb. Um, I, I don't know. I like it. They're different. They're yeah. different and weird, and, and that's cool for me. I love that. I love I that. I agree. Um, Caitlin, what do you have for us this month? Um, okay, so I just have a quick little plant update situation. Great. Yes. Um, as we know, I was part of Operation Plant Rescue at ACT, the App Association, yep. which means I was, I was, with permission, taking people's plants and taking care of them for the pandemic. Um, so part of that has also included me expanding my own plant collection. Um, so I have two exciting updates. One um, is my fiddly fig has sprouted yet another leaf. So yes. since Brad has give, gifted me um, this plant, um, it has gotten three new leaves. Um, so that's been exciting and I haven't killed it. Um, and then another exciting update is that Alex, your uh, Christmas cactus is blooming again. Really? Yes. I love, I love when she blooms in the summer. It's a good one. So good. It's the little one um, yeah. that has bloomed most recently, but about a month or two ago, the larger one uh, was blooming too. So I, I've been feeling like I haven't been b- the best plant caretaker recently, mm. um, but the plants are saying otherwise. So I'm just feeling feeling happy about that. That's awesome. <laughs> Absolutely. I feel like plants weirdly thrive on neglect sometimes. Um. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and like. I can't say that I'm totally neglecting, but it's like, oh, like I should water them on this day. And then it's like three days later and I'm like, oh, I guess I should do that now. Yeah, totally. I'm the same way. Yeah, just partial neglect, not total. Hopefully. Hopefully it stays partial. (laughs) I was going to say, but it's working out for the better. And this is like exciting because it also means that in theory, as we start to head back into the office... Um, we'll just have like a literal jungle in the membership office. It'll be fun to visit, fun to work in, very oxygenated. Yes. The most pure oxygen on K Street will be in our office. Yeah. I'm looking, I'm looking forward to that, uh, brag to have. (laughs) (laughs) My friends will be like, oh, we have snacks. And I'll be like, oh yeah, we have snacks and oxygen. Um, (laughs) Take that. Yeah. You should see my lungs. (laughs) Um, well, um, my random identifier is about another piece of content that I have consumed during this time, and it may be the best piece of content that I have consumed during this time, and that is a show, um, on, uh, the streaming service Peacock, which is NBC's, um, and it is called We Are Lady Parts, and it's a show from the UK, and it's about, um, some ladies who all live in London who, um, are... They form a punk band. They're all Muslim women. Um, there is a beautiful, like, queer love story. There is a beautiful story about, like, figuring out where you fit in and how you want to fit in and how to be who you want to be. Um, there is really great original punk songs. There is arguably one of the best covers uh, of 9 to 5 I've ever heard ever. Um, wow. Yeah, it's so good. Um, it's so good. And, like, it's so it's a British show. So it's six episodes, and each episode is, like, a little over 20 minutes. Um, so I watched the whole thing in a night. Um, so did Chelsea. Uh, 
and um, it's just really, really beautiful and really, really funny and really, really great. I made my dad watch it. Like I told him to watch it. And the all of the text messages he sent me were either that I'm laughing hysterically or why am I crying right now? Or <laughs> like, why is this song so good? Should I like add it to a playlist? Um, so all this to say, it's a really, really beautiful show. Um, and I really just think everyone in the world should watch it because it's just wonderful. Um, I might watch all episodes by the 30th of June. Yeah. I really, I really think, (laughs) I really think you will enjoy it. I I really believe that both Brad and Caitlin are a good audience for this show. I've also told literally everyone I know to watch it. Um, (laughs) It's just so good. (laughs) I love evangelizing people with great content. So you're doing good, good work. Yeah. I, I you both are really. Yeah. Um, I recently made a playlist for my dad that is almost all music that Brad has recommended over the year. So that was fun. Yeah. Um, And the only other thing I'm going to say is that it is Olympic season. I have been watching the trials, so don't worry. Going to talk about it a lot next episode. Can't wait. Be prepared. (laughs) Should it be totally Olympic themed? I mean, I think that's what we did like last Olympic cycle. So I think we have to. (gasps) Can't wait. Yeah. Spoiler alert, mine is going to be about the Olympic song, because I can't deviate from music again. Great. This <laughs> great. I have a TikTok to send you that actually is extremely lit. Okay. <laughs> oh, Even more to look forward to next time, listeners. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And that is going to be it for Tech Swamp. If you heard anything on here that piqued your interest, head over to our website and make your way to the podcast section. We'll have notes on today's episode that include links to all the good stuff. And of course, we want to give a shout out to Brad Goodall, who has composed the podcast Awesome Music. Thank you, Brad. And don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Stitcher. And of course, we'd love a rate and review. Five stars only, please. Indeed. Well, that's all for today, folks. Everyone, say bye. Bye. Bye.